Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Michael Delgado here on this week's episode of the Good Dog Pod. Super excited. We have a very special guest, Linda Case. Just tell you a little bit about her. She earned her bachelor's in animal science from Cornell University and got her master's in canine and feline nutrition from the University of Illinois, where she taught the undergraduate program in companion animal science. She also taught companion animal behavior and training at the College of Veterinary Medicine at University of Illinois for five years. Now you may be more familiar with her blog at The Science Dog, where she has multiple fantastic nutrition courses available. That's at thesciencedog.com forward slash science hyphen dog hyphen courses. She's also a dog trainer at Autumn Gold Consulting, and she has a brand new book out called Feeding Smart with the Science Dog. However, that's not her first book. She's written several books, including Dog Food Logic, Dog Smart, The Dog, Its Behavior, Nutrition, and Health, and several other books. We're also excited to announce that we are going to be giving away a copy of Linda's new book, as part of this podcast. So to enter the drawing, you just stick around. I'll be giving all the details away at the end of the episode. All right, without further ado, let's hop right in and start learning more about Linda's work. So Linda, thank you for being here today. Aside from being an expert on pet nutrition, you're also a dog trainer and science writer. So can we talk a little bit about your personal career path and how you ended up wearing all these really interesting hats? (laughs) Yes. Well, first, thank you for inviting me, Michael. It is a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I came to dogs very naturally. I was lucky enough to grow up in a very, very pet-centric family. My mom was actually a dog trainer. And so I got to grow up training and showing dogs as a hobby with her. Then I went and did my undergrad at Cornell. And like everyone in that day, I was (laughs) pre-vet. You know, that was kind of, if you like animals at that time of the world, that's kind of what you had open to you. But while at school, I had a wonderful mentor who was an animal sciences professor, and he was actually a horse expert, but he was also a nutrition expert. And he taught a course in companion animal nutrition And oddly enough, I was one of those weirdos who really enjoyed biochemistry (laughs) and a part of nutrition is biochemistry. And I loved his course. And so when it became time to go to graduate school, I was still training and showing. But at that time, there were not many, if any, graduate programs in behavior or animal cognition, certainly not training. There's so many more opportunities today. And so he suggested that I go to either UC Davis or University of Illinois, which both had very strong and continue to have very strong companion animal nutrition programs. Mm -hmm. And the reason I ended up here in central Illinois was simple. They gave me money and I didn't get as much money. (laughs) I'm sure (laughs) you know that. I didn't get as much support as Davis. So here I am. (laughs) And then the writing part just came about. I was actually approached while I was doing the companion animal program in the animal sciences program. There was a dearth of companion animal textbooks. So I was approached by a publisher at that time and asked if I wanted to start writing and then found I really enjoyed writing. And just in the last few years, have kind of segued from academic writing into more popular press and you know dog-centric writing. Which is so important because it's really hard to find people who are good at translating the science for... Yes 
pet owners. So I think your voice is just really important. And I hope that you get a lot of accolades for your writing because, yeah, super important work. (laughs) So we're talking nutrition this month at Good Dog. And people have a lot of opinions, questions, concerns, and they want to make sure they're doing their best for their dogs. So we're going to talk a little bit about dog nutritional needs. So let's talk first about, it seems like a very basic question, but I think it can really get complicated for people who are confusing, which is just like feeding regimens. What are the options? How do people figure out what's best for their own dogs? How many times a day should they feed their dogs? How important is it to your dog to have a feeding routine? It's a great question. As far as a routine regimen, as you said, as opposed to what to feed, I think that that is important. Most nutritionists, myself included, recommend feeding at least twice a day for the large and giant breeds three or four times a day is probably a better approach just because of their gut issues. In terms of what to select, (laughs) that's the (laughs) difficult part. I guess the way I would approach that in a general sense is to say that there's no one single way to feed a dog well. The big concerns are ingredient quality and processing, degree of processing, and certainly the source and also safety. But there are many ways to stay within those criteria and still feed a very healthy and healthful diet to a dog. But I would agree that having a regular routine is really important for dogs, just for gut health. And also from a training and behavior aspect, in terms of that bond that we have with our dogs. I mean, feeding time is a time of love and giving and taking care. And I think it's important to us and important to our dogs to have that daily routine and to enjoy that routine with our dogs. Yeah, that's a great point. Just like, it's not just a chore, right? I mean, it's like we enjoy our meals too, hopefully, right? It's like (laughs) we sit down, eat together. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about like ingredients and we're not going to take too deep a dive because like you said, there's many different ways to feed your dog a healthy diet. And you know, I think people who are very heavily in one camp or the other, they're going to stay there. But can we talk a little bit about like what is digestibility and should we care about it as far as what we're feeding our dogs? What does that mean? Sure. Digestibility is probably one of the most basic food attributes or measurements that we can do. And it's really important, and I always kind of couch this and frame this in terms of it's really important because of the advice that people are frequently given, and that is, you know, feed one food and feed only that food, which Mm. if you've read any of my books or blogs, you know, I vehemently disagree with, and many nutritionists disagree with it today, but because that is still an adage that's very much promoted by the pet food industry and by some pet experts digestibility becomes really important because what it is, it's a measure of how much of that food that you put into your dog or yourself, you know, it's the same process, but it actually makes it into the dog's body. And so digestibility is just a measure of how available the nutrients in that food are to the dog himself, because, you know, we're a tube within a tube and dogs are a tube within a tube. So it has to go from the gastrointestinal tract, the stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine, into the dog. And digestibility is a way of measuring how many of those nutrients, what proportion of the essential nutrients that are in that food actually nourish the dog. Okay. And the rest becomes poop, (laughs) essentially. Poop and other things. 
to, you know, we know so much about the gut microbiome today. That's fascinating field. So I would say poop and other things that are basically, and then they become more and more important the more we learn, that are provided by the gut microbes. So it's not just those undigested nutrients that end up in the poop is what we used to think. It's also these end products of the microbes as well, which may be good, might be bad, might be neutral. Yeah, interesting. Okay, age-old question, carnivores versus omnivores. Is there an either-or? What are dogs? How much does it matter? Yeah. I would frame that in terms of thinking about what that even means. You know, yeah. as humans, we love to categorize things. That's how our brains work. We're pattern seekers. So those are, to some degree, contrived categories. And we tend to think of them as dichotomous. Oh, you're either a carnivore and you're out there bringing down the caribou, or you're an omnivore and you're munching on grass. I don't know why they tend to think omnivores are more on the herbivore side, but they're not. All that it is are their categories that say this species exists primarily on meat-based foods. This species, the omnivores, basically consume a mixture. So if we look at it from that respect, dogs are technically omnivores, but it's a continuum. So I would put dogs probably if we're going, you know, that true carnivores such as the cat, which you would know, I'm sure, say they're on the far left and then maybe bears and raccoons are omnivores and they're in the middle. I would say, you know, dogs are probably a little left of that. So dogs are omnivores in that they can and do ingest and get nutrients from plant matter but they also have a pretty strong predatory instinct still. We know from recent studies that given the option, they will select high meat products. They will select a high protein food. So dogs are technically omnivores, but on the carnivore side of that. (laughs) Makes sense. Yes. And I feel like we can't get away without asking you about carbs and grain-free diets. Obviously, we've learned a lot of things about these diets in the past few years. I think there's still a lot of confusion. Are they dangerous? What's the relationship between like the proteins and lentils and the heart disease? Do you know what the latest science is saying about grain-free diets for dogs? Sure, yeah. I think the most important thing is to drop what I think is a pejorative term against the grain-free diets. It's not grain-free. That we're really certain of, and it never was. That really became more of a marketing ploy, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. to denigrate certain companies. What we do know is that it's possible that some of the newer high-protein ingredients that are plant-based may may influence a dog's and animal's taurine status and their taurine balance. And that has to do with basically how taurine is cycled through the body, how it's excreted, what the gut microbes do to it. It's a complicated issue. And even though there's some evidence that if you feed some of these lentils, as you mentioned, the high legume diets that basically replaced some of the animal protein in some of those foods, even the studies that have looked at those still don't show a change in dogs' overall taurine status. All that they show is that there may be an increased taurine excretion or a decrease in the basically the type of bile acid that is involved with taurine in response to the microbial changes that occur when those fibers from those ingredients end up in the gut. So right now, I think probably the simplest way to put it is it's not grain-free. Personally, I probably wouldn't select a food that is really high in some of these newer plant-based proteins, such as pea protein, legumes, lentils. 
Some is probably not a problem at all, but perhaps one that's primarily based on those ingredients. I would personally say, you know, just be careful how much you feed. Okay, great. Thank you so much for addressing that kind of common burning question that I think a lot of dog owners have. Everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back with Linda Case. Make sure to visit the Good Dog Merch Store, which has tote bags, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. We hope you can proudly wear this merch not only in support of Good Dog, but in support of dog breeders everywhere, because together we're stronger. Plus, Good Dog Pod listeners get 15% off. Visit shop.gooddog.com today and use the code GDP15. We are back with Linda Case, author of the new book, Feeding Smart with the Science Dog. We'll be giving away a copy of her new book, so stick around for all the details on how to enter the giveaway. But right now, we're going to talk more about dog food. One thing we see a lot when people are talking about diets for their dogs is the term biologically appropriate. How do you feel about that term? Is it just about marketing? Is this something that we really should be thinking about as far as the ingredients in our dog's food? Is this really about just comparing them to their ancestors or is there more to it? Well, first of all, it's 100% a marketing term. You know, there's, there's no one out there who's scientifically studying biologically appropriate or biologically inappropriate. So that is a marketing term. However, I think what the implication there is to try and feed dogs as naturally as possible. But that is rife with problems as well, because what is natural we have all types of things that are natural in an environment, but that will kill you if you eat them. Sure. So, so <laughs> and we also do many things with our dogs that aren't natural. We spay and neuter them. We give them vaccines. We give them medications that by any stretch of the imagination are not considered natural. So that's problematic as well. I think personally, from a nutrition aspect, the most important thing to pay attention to, rather than putting some label on it, either carnivore, omnivore, biologically inappropriate, whatever you want to call it, is to pay attention to source of ingredients and their quality. And more and more, we know so much now about the effects of processing. I've been in the industry long enough to have followed this. And early on, whenever we talked about processing, and this is true of the human food industry as well, we are primarily concerned with the loss of nutrients primarily thermal processing, but there's mechanical processing. There's other types of handling that are considered processing and that can cause a loss of nutrients, even freezing does. And that was our primary focus was then, okay, well then we'll just put these nutrients back after we process it. But now we know that there are actually some byproducts of processing itself that may have negative health implications. And again, this is true in the human foods as well. So processing is becoming increasingly important to pay attention to, and certainly ingredient source. Okay. And so when you're thinking about processing, like how should people even assess this food versus that one? Or is it like you have to write to the company and find out what they're doing? Or <laughs> have you been in a pet food processing plant to like, yes. yeah, okay. What's yeah. that like? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I have. And primarily in kibble, because again, that's still the primary type of food that we produce. Mm-hmm. I think the really exciting thing is that there are many options to people today, not just kibble. You know, we have freeze dried, we have dehydrated, we have human grade, we have raw, and those are all less processed. You know, probably the most highly processed food that we can get is the kibble. Okay. Because it's kind of processed twice. When you get an animal meal, that's processed through rendering. 
and then the second process is extrusion itself. So if you are interested in reducing the proportion of processed foods that your dog consumes, then it is probably advisable to look at some of the fresh frozen foods or even raw if it's produced using HPP processing to make sure that it's safe, freeze-dried and dehydrated. Those are all options that are less highly processed than your typical kibble. Great. Completely unrelated question, but I was kind of looking over some of your recent blog posts and you had summarized a study about French bulldogs and their farting. And, you know, I think it was a good opening to talk about dog farts. And, you know, I think there's, you know, some people have dogs that have gas, flatulence. Why is that? And did you learn anything from the study you reviewed? I actually went down like a little rabbit hole and started looking. There's like a whole area of science dedicated to dog flatulence, basically involving like suits, little vests that they put on the dogs to measure the gas and everything. So anyway, yeah, can we talk dog farts for a minute? certainly <laughs> <We> can. <laughs> yeah, I like to call those flatulent Frenchies. So yeah, I was unaware that French bulldogs were notorious for that until I found that study. That was news to me. And then of course, I got tons of emails from French bulldog owners who said, oh yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> So prior to writing that, I was aware, and this is actually one of those myths that we can break right now. It's very common for people to have blamed their dog's flatulence on starches and on grains. And I think the reason is that they think, well, starches have a lot of fiber in them and fiber is broken down in the gut and that causes gas. And to some degree, that's true. But we also know that because of the type of processing that's done with many of the animal source proteins that go into dog foods, that protein, especially damaged protein or low quality protein that ends up in the large intestine is going to be fermented by microbes in the large intestine. And it's the end products that those microbes produce that are really stinky and cause feces to smell really bad and also bad smelling flatulence. So I feel like grains were maligned for no reason, you know, that they were blamed for this problem. And it was interesting because I would often have people say to me, well, I fed my dog a food that was high in corn and, you know, corn's very inexpensive and he had a lot of flatulence. So it was the corn, but what tends to go with inexpensive grains, corn, is inexpensive protein meals, animal protein meals. So my response to that would be, it was most likely the poor quality protein in that food that caused the problem rather than the corn. One of the things that that study did not answer that I really want to see answers to is, again, the effects of processing on protein because protein is damaged by processing. There's no question about that. It's just a matter of degrees. And that particular study just compared different kibbles made with different protein sources. What I'd like to see is, you know, again, different processing effects mm. on flatulence. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. More science to be done. There's always more science. <laughs> <laughs> and before we wrap up for today, so you just put out your new book. Obviously, this is not your first book about dog food and we've done a lot of research. So maybe could you tell us just a little bit about the process of writing your book? Like what kind of research you had to do to put together this information? Sure. So Dog Food Logic was written five or six years ago, and that was kind of a, I wouldn't say an expose, but definitely, you know, delved pretty deeply into the pet food industry and how to hopefully help people to hone their critical thinking skills, which we all always need to work on, and to learn to select a food with a critical eye. 
And so this newest book, I really wanted to answer many of the questions that people have about feeding their dogs well, about pet food ingredients, about foods, and about feeding regimens. And so I divided the book into you know, those five areas and then came up with questions that there actually were research studies, usually within the last four or five years, to answer or at least help to answer those questions. So even though the book is not complete in terms of every single question a pet owner might have about food, I think it covers a pretty wide breadth of those questions. So the blog certainly helped with that. A lot of the essays that are in the book originated on the blog and then were modified for in the book. And some actually came out of just research I saw and said, oh, that should help to answer this particular question. Even though it's a scientific book, it's very applied in that how can we use science once again to actually feed our dogs more healthfully? Great. Well, what a fantastic resource for dog owners everywhere. Linda Case's new book, Feeding Smart with the Science Dog. Stick around a few more seconds. I'll be telling you how to enter our drawing to win a free copy of Linda's book. And also come back next week when we have our second part of our interview with Linda Case. We're going to be talking about some of the pet food industry research practices and things about AFCO and products and ingredients. So we'll dive deeper into this next week on the Good Dog Pod. So thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. All right. If you are interested in entering the giveaway for Linda Case's book, Feeding Smart with the Science Dog, you can register at goodreadercenter.typeform.com forward slash feeding smart. We're also going to put that link in the show notes. So don't worry if you didn't catch that. Just go to the Good Dog Pod webpage or anywhere you listen to the Good Dog Pod and click on the show notes link. We're going to run this giveaway until Sunday, March 20th at midnight Eastern. So don't miss out your chance to win Feeding Smart with Science Dog.